This morning I read in Psalm 19 that the law of the Lord revives our hearts. And we have the opportunity this morning, church, to open up the Word of God. Let me say that again, the Word of God. And this is no small thing that we get to do each and every week. So if you have a copy of God's Word, I'm going to ask you to turn to Acts chapter 4. We are in a series right now called Vintage Church. And today, specifically, we're going to be thinking about what did the early church, just the average church member of the early vintage church, look like? What were some qualities they had? So typically, when we think of the church in Acts, the early church in Acts, we, we probably think of what we might call like the rock stars of the faith, like the Apostle Paul or Peter or Stephen or any of the other disciples. Uh, but the truth is there were actually a lot of Christians, people that were coming to faith in Jesus who were just ordinary people, just normal people. And by the way, there's nothing wrong with ordinary. Uh, many of us are ordinary, and that's A-OK. And you know what? The Lord uses ordinary all the time. And we're going to see that bear out in the scriptures together today. So I know you just sat down, but here at Downtown Church, we do something for the initial reading of God's Word. I'm going to ask you to stand in honor of the reading of God's Word. Acts chapter 4, verses 32 through 35 reads, Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. I was talking with someone just the other day, and they were sharing with me how they were struggling in their faith. And this is someone who believes the gospel. This is someone that is a professing Christ follower. But they shared with me, they said, you know, sometimes I, I wonder and this thought crosses my mind, is God real? Like, is, is this Christian faith, is it real? Like, I believe, but sometimes I kind of doubt. If you ever find yourself in that position, there's, I think there's a lot of things we can do. But one thing I think we can do is to think about the church. Specifically, think about your church that you're a part of. How do you see God moving? How do you see God changing the people in the church? That thought and that thought process can be like a grounding rod for us when those moments of doubt creep in. I think something else we can do is look back. Look back in history. Look back at what God has done in the church in days past. And that's what we're doing in this series. In the text that we just read, there was a clear movement of God's Spirit, of the Holy Spirit in this particular church body. So much so that it says the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. 
Y'all, that's 100%. The full number of those who believed were united. They were united in their faith. So much so that they were pooling their resources. And we'll learn more about why there was a great need here in just a moment. But there was a great need in the church at that time. So they start pooling their resources and meet all of the needs in their church, which was vastly growing. So Luke actually penned this book. He, he's giving us a historical account. And he's recounting here about the whole church body. But then he says, let me tell you about one of those church members. And he gives us kind of a role model in the midst of the whole congregation. In fact, look at Acts 4, verse 36. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus. Okay, so Luke is writing down what he's seen. He's writing down what he's heard, what he knew to be true. And as he's recounting, what he's doing is he's recounting these ordinary church members, what God was doing in the church of his day. But then he points to one guy and he says, hey, let me tell you about Joseph. Now, Joseph, this is not to be confused with Mary and Joseph and the the manger scene. This isn't that Joseph. In fact, it's another Joseph altogether. And we learn here that actually nobody really called him Joseph once he got really involved in the church. The apostles had a nickname for this guy. They called him Barnabas, which means, as the Bible says, son of encouragement. And we're going to see that God uh, allowed him to have that name because that's really how he lived his life. He was an encourager. So here's what we're going to see over and over again through the book of Acts. Because we're not going to be just here in Acts 4. We're actually going to walk through the book of Acts together and look at this character named Barnabas. And when we look at the life of Barnabas, we're going to see he's not like Paul. He's not like Peter, the out front spokesman for the faith. Paul was just an ordinary guy. He was an encourager. And the Lord used this ordinary man in pretty extraordinary ways. And I believe that we can be encouraged by the life of Barnabas. So today we're going to be thinking about what does the ideal church member look like. And we're going to look at the life of Barnabas to see what that might be for us as well. So we initially see Barnabas in the scriptures as he was quick to, first point here, carry the burden. He was quick to carry the burden. And we see that here in Acts chapter 4. Look at verse 36 again. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, here's what he did, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about the context here. In the days leading up to what was going on here in the church, a revival has broken out. The day of Pentecost has happened. And now word is getting out to the surrounding areas around Jerusalem that something's happening in Jerusalem. So people start pouring into the city. They start flooding into the city. And in the process of that, many of them came to faith in Jesus. Praise God, right? But as those people were coming in, and as they were coming to faith in Jesus, there there was some pretty severe needs just because there were so many people in the city. 
They didn't have cars to sleep in. They didn't have a camper hooked up on the back of their SUV. They couldn't go stay at a Holiday Inn. None of that was available to them. And in fact, they were struggling to even find food. And so you've got all these new Christians that are flooding the church there in Jerusalem. And then the church there in Jerusalem saw this great need, and they were like, okay, let's do something about this. So they set up a collection. They start taking up offerings. And even to the point of saying, hey, if you have houses or lands. And they didn't even suggest that, I don't think. I think they just started doing that. And so we see that collections were being taken up. And we see that here with Barnabas. Good old Barnabas. Luke highlights Barnabas here, not because he preached some fiery sermon with a great altar call. He didn't highlight Barnabas because he healed somebody in the name of Jesus like we talked about last week. He, he just did something ordinary. He, he took of his resources and said, you know what, I, I can't do that stuff, but I, I do have some property. I think I can sell that. I think I can help meet some needs here. And that's what Barnabas did. When I think of Barnabas, I think of real Christians. I think of specific faces, and I could list names for you. I won't because they don't want the credit. But I know brothers and I know sisters in Christ that sound a lot like Barnabas here. A lady at a church I once served at needed transportation. Didn't have a way to get around. Literally did not have a way to get around. And someone in our church said, hey, I'd like to buy her a car. And that's what they did. They, they bought her a car. I've actually seen that happen three times. So cool that people step up and say, I want to help meet that need. In recent days, I saw one sister in Christ say, um, look, I know this family needs to go to foster care training for 10 weeks. And I know that they need help with their kids for three hours at a time while they go to these foster care meetings. I can't do a whole lot for them, but I can keep their kids while they do that. And we've all seen people that take meals to those in the church. We've all seen people be selfless and loving in so many ways. I know another brother in Christ that was made aware of an elderly lady that was a widow. And she didn't have anyone to help take care of her yard. And she was trying to take care of her yard, but she physically couldn't. And so he stepped up and said, I'll, I'll do that. And for years, this brother in Christ took care of that lady's yard. Ordinary things, but used for extraordinary ways. And encouraging in extraordinary ways. When I think about the, the cumulative effect of that, and I, I look at the church at large, and I, I see so many acts of love, and I see so many acts of brothers and sisters in Christ being willing to carry the burden. I can't help but think this was God's plan all along. This is what God wants his people to do. This is how God wants his people to live. The Apostle Paul describes this type of church member like this. Look at Philippians 2 verse 4. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. I don't know if y'all have noticed this, but it's pretty easy to focus on us, right? It's pretty easy to look after numero uno, right? That's natural. That's our default setting. But it's something else completely to not just look out for yourself, but to consistently look out for the needs of others. And by the way, 
I believe it's evidence of the Spirit of God working in us when we find ourselves doing that. When we find ourselves in that rhythm, it's evidence of the supernatural hand of God changing our hearts, changing our actions, changing our reactions even. I hope we can be this kind of church more and more. I see this here. I'd love to see this grow. That we're not me-centered, rather we're looking after the interest of others as well. That we might carry the burden together. So Barnabas was quick to do this. He was quick to carry the burden. Barnabas was also quick to collapse the barrier. Collapse the barrier. All right, turn over a couple of pages to Acts chapter 9. Acts 9. So we see that here in Acts chapter 9, a guy becomes a Christian. A guy named Saul becomes a Christian. Now, Saul has a past. Don't we all, right? Saul has a past. And Saul had been hearing about this group of people that were calling themselves the way. And the followers of the way believed that Jesus was the long-awaited Messiah. And Saul believed in his heart of hearts that that was a lie. He believed that the way these Christians, he believed that they were blaspheming God. And so Saul zealously persecuted the church. In fact, he started rounding up Christians, literally binding them, hauling them off to jail, severely persecuting them and their families. But then something crazy happens. Saul is traveling to a city called Damascus. He's willing to travel and hunt down the Christians. And so he's traveling on the road to Damascus, and who does he meet? Christ blinded by a light, meets Christ himself. Saul is saved in a miraculous way. And Saul was never the same after that, which should be our testimony as well. Amen? Saul was never the same after that. So Saul becomes a Christian, and you would think, and he lived happily ever after, right? Well, Saul becomes a Christian, but then he faces a problem when it comes to how he's interacting with the church. But he uses a guy named Barnabas to help him out. Check this out in Acts chapter 9, verse 23. When many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him, but their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him. But his disciples took him by night and let him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. And when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples. And they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. Okay, the first part there in verse 23, it says, When many days had passed. That phrase right there, that's a quick phrase, but that was actually about a three-year period. So Saul comes to faith in Jesus. Many days pass, three years pass. And during that time, Saul, which was a Pharisee of Pharisees, which was zealous to persecute the Christian faith, now he is following Christ. He, he's right there with the brothers and sisters that he had been persecuting before. The Lord has changed him radically. And now Saul is, he's proclaiming Christ, right? He's spreading the gospel message. And so Saul hears, he's like, okay, now they're trying to kill me. 
So Saul does what probably any of us would do. He's like, okay, how can I get out of that? And so Saul is let down in a basket by other Christians through a hole in the city wall. And Saul flees the city. And then he goes to a city called Jerusalem. Now, what does he do when he gets to Jerusalem? Probably what you and I would do as Christians if we came to a new town. We would probably get in town, get settled a little bit, and we'd try to find a church home. Hopefully that's what you would do, right? And so Saul does that. And he goes to the disciples. It says here in the scriptures that he wanted to join the disciples. He wanted to join those Christians. In comes Saul's problem. Look at verse 26 again, the latter part of Acts 9. And they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. So Paul is excited about being a part of the church here in Jerusalem. He's heard the stories of what God has done in Jerusalem. But now there's a barrier. There's something keeping Paul from being an active part of the church. And the barrier was his past. What he's done in days past. Even though that's not who Saul was anymore. Even though for three plus years he's been different. He's been walking with the Lord faithfully. He's been proclaiming Christ faithfully. He's been an active part of Christ's church for three years. And now he gets to the church in Jerusalem. And what do they do? They push him out because of his past. And so the Lord uses someone in Paul's story here who was Saul at this time. Uses not Peter, not James, not John, not all the, the, the rock stars of the faith, not all the big leaders that we see in Acts. No, here comes Barnabas. And Barnabas does something about this. Look what happens in verse 27. But Barnabas took him. And brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him. And how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. Okay, so what happens? Saul gets to Jerusalem. The church tries to push him out. They try to kick him out of the holy huddle. But Barnabas knew this wasn't right. He knew it was not right to judge a man by his past. He knew it was not right to define someone by their past. And so what does he do? He says, Saul, come on, follow me. We're going to go to the church. We're going to talk to the church about this. And he speaks on behalf of Saul. He declares what God has done, how he was saved, how he's been proclaiming Christ. I I believe what we see here is that an ideal church member doesn't just simply go to church. An ideal church member doesn't simply write a check. An ideal church member also is involved to the point of breaking down barriers. We should be about that here at Downtown Church. We should be people who do not define other people by their past. It's not fun when people bring up your past, is it? We shouldn't define people by their past. We should include those who feel like outsiders. There are few things as upsetting to me as a pastor as when people don't feel welcome in the church. And if I could get on a little soapbox for a second, I feel like this is something that needs to be said. Not at anybody, but just about our church culture. 
So I can think of faces of people and names that in recent years have stopped going to a church or even church in general because they didn't feel welcome. Just think about that for a second. They, they come to the church because they want to experience God's working in their life. They come to the church hoping for hope and healing and restoration and encouragement. And they walk in the doors and they're excited. But then they're pushed out. That's, that's not okay, church. It is absolutely not okay. And I, I think we can all agree that the damage that that can do to somebody is catastrophic. It's damaging to them. It's damaging to our church. And it's damaging to their family for years and years to come. I think it's important that we are guarded against this. As we do ministry in downtown Mobile, there will be people that come in this building that look a lot different than us. There will be people that come in this building that have a past. Some of you have a past. You're welcome here, okay? You are welcome here. The gospel is just as available to you as it is to me, as it is to anyone else here. And we want to welcome them here in the name of Jesus. I hope and pray that when we see this taking place in any church, not just here at downtown church, but if the Lord leads you somewhere else in the days to come, be a Barnabas. Step in and say, hey, that's not right. Extend that hand of invitation and say, come on in. You're welcome here. May we collapse barriers. So the ideal church member carries the burden, collapses the barriers. Also, the ideal church member connects the brotherhood. Uh, turn a couple of pages over to Acts chapter 11 now. Acts 11. So here we see another great movement of God has taken place. So in the history of Acts, where all of the God stuff, so to speak, has been happening at this point in Acts, has been in the city of Jerusalem. Okay, that's where it's been happening. But now something is different, something different is happening. Now, God is starting to move in a city called Antioch. Whereas before, God was moving in Jerusalem and predominantly with the Jews, now we're starting to see that the gospel is going out to the Gentiles. Is something different. And we see a new work taking place here. In fact, let's look at Acts 11, verse 19. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenist also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them. And a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. Okay, so leading up to chapter 11, the focus was really on Jerusalem. The focus was really on how God was working in the Jews there in Jerusalem. But now, as these believers are scattered, if you're not familiar with the story of the stoning of Stephen, a brother in Christ, 
who proclaimed the gospel message unashamedly. Stephen was killed for proclaiming faith in Jesus, for proclaiming that Christ was the Messiah indeed, and that the Jews were rejecting the cornerstone of all of creation. The message didn't go over well, and they killed Stephen. In fact, Saul held the coats while Stephen was being killed. He held the coats of everyone throwing rocks. So the, the Christians there, they're hearing about this. And so they're in Jerusalem and they're like, wait a second, they're about to come for us. And so they started gathering their families and scattering all over the place. And the Jews were mostly only proclaiming the gospel to fellow Jews. But there were some who began proclaiming the gospel to the Hellenists, which were Greeks and Gentiles. And when the gospel got to the Gentiles, it was kind of like when a flame hits gasoline. Something crazy happened. A revival broke out in amazing ways. In fact, look at verse 21 here. Acts eleven twenty-one. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. So the Lord is working mightily in Antioch. Souls are being set free. Lives are being changed as they believe that they cannot save themselves. Christ can, though. They can't make themselves right with God, but through faith in Jesus, they can be made right through his sinless blood, through his resurrection from the grave. They can have eternal life. And so that gospel message was spreading. But then, word gets back to Jerusalem. And so you got the apostles here. Now, they weren't bad guys, but they're a little skeptical. They hear about what's taking place there in Antioch, and they're like, ah, this is a little different. This is a little weird. God's been working here in Jerusalem, and he's been working with the Jews, but could it be so that God would also save Gentiles? And it was a strange concept to them. And so they're a bit skeptical. And so they send someone to Antioch. But they didn't send a preacher. They didn't send a theologian. They, they didn't send a church growth expert. Who they sent was Barnabas. Good old Barnabas. The faithful church member. And so they send Barnabas. And here's what Barnabas saw when he gets to Antioch. Acts 11 verse 23. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad. And he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. Okay, so what did Barnabas find when he got to Antioch? Barnabas gets there, and by the way, Barnabas was from this area, okay? So Barnabas gets there, his hometown, his home area, and he's looking around, he's like, oh, this is God. Okay, I see the grace and the hand of God on this place, and it said it made him glad. Church, as it should. When we see the working of the Spirit of God, we should be glad. Amen? And so Barnabas sees that, and he's glad. And what does Barnabas do? He doesn't start preaching. He doesn't start a discipleship ministry. He, he, all he did was just start encouraging. He's like, man, that's so cool. Keep walking with the Lord. Keep following Jesus. And he's encouraging. It's, the Bible says that he exhorts them, which is a fancy word for encourage. And we see that Barnabas connects the brotherhood in a couple of ways. One way we see this is he balances the old and the new. 
Okay, so the city of Jerusalem at this time kind of represents traditional Christianity. Now, it wasn't bad, but, and they weren't really old at this point as a church, but there was enough history there to where there was a tradition. There was a way things had been done up until this point. And so Jerusalem is over here where the apostles are. God's been working there. He's been working in the Jews, but now something new. Now something different. To bring that home for us, church, if we're not careful, we can find ourselves clinging to the past and missing out on how God wants to move today. That's not a good place to be. Okay, We can find ourselves holding on to the ways of the past, the way we've always done things, and we can miss what God is wanting to do here, today, in downtown Mobile. I think we would probably all agree that pretty much every generation of Christians that's ever existed has said something along the lines of, we've never done it like that before, or we don't do it like that around here. Today, and I know some of these brothers and sisters, and I love them. There's, there's some Christians who say we should only sing hymns. Y'all, don't get me wrong. I love a hymn. I love that we sang hymns this morning. I think they're precious, and we should sing them. But you know what? The Bible also says sing to the Lord a new song. That's another sermon for another day. But here's the thing. Even hymns, hymns that you and I know and love, do you know where the tunes for a lot of those hymns came from? They were bar songs. Okay, these were songs, the, the tunes that we sing and we sing loudly to the glory of God, the, the melodies were literally bar tunes. And guys would sit around in bars wasted singing songs to those melodies. And so the church actually took those melodies and said, hey, we all know those melodies. Let's put some Christian lyrics to it. And they did. And you know what? It was a new thing for the church in the 1800s, in the early 1900s. I say all that to say this. I'm not saying let's go get like Elton John songs and start putting Christian lyrics to it. It's not what I'm saying. But what I am going to say is this. It's okay to cherish the old, but be open to the new. It really is. It's okay to have a an appreciation for the old, but it's also good to be open to the new. I sincerely believe that God wants to work in the city. I don't think God is nearly done. In fact, I, I really believe that a revival could be breaking out in Mobile in the near future. I hope and pray it does. And you know what? It might look kind of like the old ways, you know? And if it does, praise God, you know? But it might look a little different. And we need to be open to whatever the Lord would have for us here in downtown church in Mobile, Alabama. Amen? One last thought on this point here. He also encouraged fellow members to lead. So Barnabas gets to Antioch, and he's excited. He's glad, right? He sees the hand of God at work. And so he sees that. He's like, hey, you guys need help. And so here's what he does. He goes and gets help. Look at Acts eleven twenty five. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch for a whole year. They met with the church and taught a great many people. 
And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Okay, so Barnabas wasn't a teacher, he wasn't a preacher, he wasn't an apostle, he wasn't a church growth strategist, but he sees God moving. And he says, you know what, I don't know what to do with this, but I know a guy. I know a fairly new Christian that I believe the Lord has gifted. I think he's got a lot of promise. And so he goes and finds Saul. And he says, Saul, will you help me out? And so they go to Antioch together. And for a year, they pour into the church, and the Lord blessed their efforts. We've, we've got a lot of great leaders and volunteers in our church. We really do. I think we've got a phenomenal group of leaders and volunteers. But can I say this? There's a big need right now. We were talking about this at our staff meeting the other day. Our, we've got a downtown staff uh, meeting for our church, and we were just talking about all the ways we've been growing lately. Our, our kids' ministry's been growing. Our life groups are maxed out in some ways, and it's good. It's very good, but can I say this? We need more leaders. We need people to step up. I think we could use some Barnabases to step up and reach out to others in the church and say, hey, I think you'd be great at that. Or, hey, why don't you join me and let's serve over here together. Maybe we kind of take that next step in being a member of Christ church. There's one final quality I want to share with you, and I won't be long-winded here, okay? Barnabas also was quick to care for the broken. Uh, turn over to Acts 15. So uh, this is a very unique story in Scripture we're going to see here. So Barnabas has been a faithful member of the church. And he links up with Paul, and they've been doing ministry together. And they say, hey, why don't we hit the road? Why don't we go do missions together? And so they're getting ready for their first missionary journey together, Saul and Barnabas, Paul and Barnabas. And before they leave, Barnabas says, hey, I've got a nephew. His name's John Mark. He's expressed interest in the ministry. I think it'd be great for him to go. Do you care? And Paul's like, yeah, sure, bring him. So they get going on this first missionary journey, and while they're on this first missionary journey, John Mark leaves. And the Bible doesn't say why, but it does indicate that Paul's not happy about it. So we don't know if he's homesick for mama. We don't know if he's backslidden. We don't know if he's just not feeling it. We don't know what's going on, but John Mark leaves. Well, they get back home, and it's time for the second missionary journey. And Barnabas still has John Mark on his mind. And he says, hey, Paul, I really want to give John Mark another chance. I want to give him another shot. What do you think? And Paul's just shaking his head. He's like, nope, nope. He left. He left the ministry work. He does not deserve a second chance. And in fact, there was a confrontation between these two godly men, Paul and Barnabas. And here's what happened. Verse 39 of Acts 15. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. Okay, so a sharp disagreement is fancy wording for they argued, okay? And at the root of their argument, it was really Barnabas wanted to give John Mark another shot. He didn't want to give up on John Mark. Now, 
Here's where the story gets interesting. Fast forward a ways down the road for Paul. Paul's in prison. He writes a letter to a guy named Timothy, a young pastor. And he writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy. Listen to what Paul says. It's up on the screen, 2 Timothy 4.11. He said this, Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. What? Are you serious? What just happened there? That's a huge shift. Paul goes from saying, no way. He doesn't deserve to be on this trip to saying, hey, Timothy, go get Mark. He is very useful to me for ministry. Something changed. And you know what? Mark changed. Mark was now a solid minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Mark was now walking faithfully with the Lord. He's back on track. But can I ask you, why do you think that is? Barnabas. Barnabas stepped up. Barnabas did not give up on Mark. And by the way, Mark went on to write one of the books of the Bible called Mark, right? One of the Gospels, okay? God used Mark mightily. And it was because an ordinary brother in Christ did not give up on Mark. We need to be that kind of church member. There's going to be times when people come into this church and they get really involved in the church and you think they're here to stay and then maybe they fade away from church. Wouldn't it be great if a Barnabas type person went up to them or shot them a text and said, hey, can we get lunch? And starts encouraging them and bringing them back into the fold so that they can get back on track. In a right standing with Christ and his church. That the Lord might use them. That the Lord might bless them. I'll close with two short thoughts. Number one, we all need a Barnabas. We do. Y'all, this guy does. I need Barnabases in my life. And praise God, I've got some. And I've been so blessed by them. We need people to encourage us. We need people to say, hey, do more for the kingdom of God. Be better for the kingdom of God by the power of his spirit working in you. We need people to say, hey, what's going on in your life? What needs you got? Can I be there for you? We need a Barnabas in our lives. Second closing thought is this, and we'll be done. We need to strive to be a Barnabas. Sometimes it's really tempting to come into a church and to just enjoy the Barnabases, you know. And it's good. It's good to, to be encouraged. It's good to be built up. It's good to have your needs met. Praise God. But you know what? We should not stop there. We should not be a me-centered church. We, not, we should not be me-centered church members. We should long that the Lord might use us to encourage to hold accountable, to love on others, and to build them up and bear their burdens. Amen? I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. As always, we're going to enter into a time of response. I would encourage you to consider how you should respond to the Word of God 
this morning. The book of James says that we should not simply be hearers of the word, but rather we should be doers of the word. I would encourage each of us to really consider what do I need to do in light of what God's word has said this morning. Lord, I want to pray for those in this room. Maybe there's someone here, they're not really a Christian. Maybe they've been coming to church for a while. Maybe they're familiar with Bible stories. Maybe they've looked the part, but maybe you've not done that work in them. I pray that today is the day of salvation for them. And Lord, for those of us here that are of the faith, that do have your spirit residing in us, Lord, may, may we hear the example of Barnabas, and may we not be content with being consumers in the Christian faith. Use us to your glory, O oh God. We love you, and we give you praise. It's in your son Jesus' name that we pray.